Hello, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world, um, good night, perhaps. Um, you're warmly welcome, rev fellow revolutionaries, to Revolution Live, our monthly meetup where I get the chance to find out some very important and interesting stuff from an expert. And on this occasion, something very special is happening because our guest today, Linda Grave, popped up with a question on an earlier episode. And we were so impressed with both Linda's um, question and then looking into her knowledge and experience, because she's certainly got plenty of that in the electric vehicle world um, in regard to charging up electric vehicles in particular. We thought, let's invite her onto the show. So, hello, Linda. How are you? Good afternoon. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Yes, that was a bit of a surprise. I, I must say, I can't actually remember what my question was, Roger. So uh, you might need to. Well, well I can. It was a, it was a really good one. I'll just <laughs> leave it at that, Linda. It was just a good one. <laughs> it must have been. But okay, look, you're welcome. We've got uh, just under an hour now because I've been um, blathering on for a minute already. Um, just to remind our audience, thank you for joining us, by the way. Um, if you're here live, you're going to get the chance, if you want to, to join us on stage and ask Linda your question in person. If you're listening to this as a podcast, where were you? But you're more than welcome uh, to listen in now. And what are we going to talk about? Well, there's nothing wrong with having a top three, top five, top ten, whatever a top bunch of tips that gives people the immediate response to an important question. So in this regard, it's what are the top five EV charging considerations for property developers? So if you are a property developer or you know one, maybe a friend of the family is, this is definitely going to be the place for you. And just like all the other episodes that we've had, this is a specialist topic. Yes, it is. We're going to talk very much about land and property and all of this and in regard to charging. But all the other aspects and elements of, you know, fleet management, of um, retailing uh, energy, etc. All of those are in previous episodes. So you can pick and mix, pick and choose, select whatever works best for you. Um, so there we are. Can I just check, where are you talking to us from today, Linda, by the way? Are you in the UK or are you somewhere exotic? I I am. It, it, I mean, exotic Woodbridge in Suffolk, in the east of England. Very um, nice. Yeah. And Very this nice. is where I am working from home. And, well, uh, indeed. Yeah, that, that's, that's the way it is these days. So let me just give yeah. our, 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 um, our audience a little bit more of uh, who you are. So, so Linda, actually, I looked at her website, and I'd recommend looking at that, by the way, evdriver.co.uk. And Linda holds the Galileo Master Certificate in Electric Vehicles, which was awarded by the European Energy Centre. Now, I'd like to think I'm clever, but I'm clearly not because I haven't got that certificate. Um, and Linda has not only got her academic qualification there, but she's been in and around this space of renewable energy and electric vehicle charging for nearly 20 years, Linda. Is that correct? Should we just, just you know, skim over that, Roger? <laughs> Yeah, but look, we like to give people, uh, we like to present to our audience people with lots of knowledge and experience and skin in the game. So you've absolutely got that, Linda. So um, how we kick off first, because we are going to get to questions in a minute, by the way, just in case you're wondering, is we have a poll. We put it out to the audience on LinkedIn and we ask people um, for, the, for their, their their thought. You know, we give them four, four answers typically. So we said... Um, 
you know, what do you think is the most imp- is the most important thing um, in making your property EV ready? So the four questions were access to the grid, smart charging functionalities, renewable energy integration, uh, or other, please tell us in the comments. Um, we only had 2% of others, please tell us in the comments. Uh, I can't remember what that comment was, Linda, if I'm honest. <laughs> but here they are, the top answer. You might be interested in, particularly interested in this. Um, renewable energy integration, 38%. Smart charging functionalities, 30%. And then in third place, only by a smidgen, because it was 29%, was access to the grid. Now, I suspect, Linda, you're going to have something to say about that as we work our way through some questions. Mm. So, um, but before we do, um, let me kind of start with a kind of juicy question, as it were. Um, what, what's the one thing do you think that, that landowners seem to overlook? And, and why, is it, why is it crucial to start paying attention to this when it comes to the prospect of um, developing charging infrastructure? I tell you what, Linda, um, don't answer it yet. I know that's crazy asking a question, so don't answer it. Let, let's see how we go through the rest of it, because I'm wondering if that will come up anyway. But if it doesn't, we'll come back to that at the end. How, how does that sound? Can I first of all say that I am really surprised by that poll? Well, well, I was, actually. I know I voted on it. Am I allowed to tell you what I voted, or does it have to be a secret? Um, I, I thought it might be access to the grid, because the other things I complete, I'm completely with them, but... If you haven't got access to the grid, you can't make any of it work. I mean, is that is that correct? Well, that's the program over. That was my answer to everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thanks, everybody, no, I, for joining us today. I, we hoped you enjoyed that. <laughs> I find it really fascinating. I think this is the state of where we are now, that energy is now the top of the list. Uh, and, you know, um, making sure that you have that uh, renewable energy integration is even more important. Yeah, I'm not sure that it ever sat highly with uh, property developers as such because of the cost. Um, but now, obviously, um, energy security is sitting really high on everyone's agenda. Yeah, so I think that's fascinating. Well, g- given that that's the case and given, let's be honest, in and I know I keep mentioning it, that 20 years you've been around in all of this. Could you give us a quick kind of helicopter view, a sort of summary of where we are? Um, in relation to we've got deadlines coming towards us for the end of internal combustion engine manufacture. We've got an energy crisis. We've got, you know, a million electric vehicles in the UK now. We've got all of these good and bad things going on. Can you give us a quick Mm. kind of summary of all of that, Linda? Okay, I think the the quickest summary I can say is, you know, we were working towards 2050 um, not many years ago. That became 2040, 2035, and now mostly most countries are talking 2030, Europe and uh, the UK, 2030 to 2035, that they will uh, not sell any um, uh, combustion engine vehicles anymore in those countries. Mm. So, you know, it's a, it's a, that's massive and it's not very far away. And I think sometimes we forget that the, the two years that we lost during COVID, uh, you know, you look at 2013, and you kept thinking it was 10 years away. Well, you know, seven and a half years, we won't be selling um, any um, combustion engines in, in a lot of Europe. So mm. we need to prepare. We, we will have a mixed fleet for many, many years to come. You know, there's no doubt about that. But we need to prepare and we need to look at regulation, which changes rapidly, uh, not as quickly as UK prime ministers, but but quick. You know, so you you need to stay on top of what's happening in your own country. 
and locally as well. So, you know, these things are really important about what's happening where. Um, you know, the UK recently um, has shown, you know, all new residential properties and non-residential must install um, EV charge points if they have more than um, uh, 10 parking bays. So, you know, regulations uh, come they get enforced by some local authorities. Some local authorities may well say, look, we, we want to go a bit tighter than that. So you might say three or four, but we want to do more. So I think helicopter view is, you know, it's it's not that far away. Uh, and it and sometimes blink and it gets a little bit closer. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, stay on top of what's happening in your country and your locality uh, when it comes to uh, regulations. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's a good summary. The fact that... Um you know, it, it's it's happening faster all the time. We've got better choice of electric vehicles. The Chinese are coming. That's uh, that's a that's good in many ways, but it's also a challenge to the European automakers. Mm. You know, it absolutely is. Um, and as you say, you know, the legislation uh, changes. We've got this real kind of strange time with energy uh, happening, which is a kind of mixed blessing, isn't it? I mean, without getting into all the reasons for it, we 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 all know what they are. But, you know, if anything is going to accelerate the adoption of renewable energy and energy independence, well, it's got to be a good thing, isn't it? Um, you know, that's got to be something that we're, we're pleased about. Um, so let me just ask you this one question. I mean, property development, that's a big sort of broad term. You know, people develop mm-hmm. property for all sorts of reasons. Um, but can you really put hand on your heart and say investing in EV infrastructure, if you're a property developer, is going to increase that property value? Um is that really happening at the moment, Linda? Okay, so we've got we've got a number of different um, sectors, obviously, within property development. So uh, taking them, uh, let's go to sort of um, a new development, maybe um, maybe some warehousing, office space, etc. If you're not providing EV charging and energy efficient buildings, are people going to take your your lease? You know, uh, is that appealing? Because I think most of us are now coming at it from a what are my running costs of anything? Uh, What can I do there? So a a building that has everything and I haven't got to spend out my money myself to put in EV charging, then, yeah, that's going to be more appealing than the one next door that hasn't got it. Hmm. I think the the other thing is to, you know, this is happening, I think it's in Sweden. Um, there's some research being done that there is definitely, um, they're looking at the number one reason why they're adding EV charging is because of increase in property values. So, and Sweden is always way ahead of us. So we look at Scandinavia a lot of the time and think, you know, th- this is our, our benchmark of where we want to be. Um, so I would say absolutely it is definitely worth looking at. You are going to be forced to, to be honest, you know, if you're doing new builds now, you will have to put in the charging infrastructure, cabling um, as an absolute minimum. So it's going to be done, but I don't think you'll be losing your money by doing it. Sure. OK, so so we're talking here particularly about property developers. So we're talking about facilities, mm. commercial, um, as well yeah. as residential, et cetera. What about landowners, uh, Linda? <laughs> so if I've got, you know, a plot of land that might have planning permission, or, 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 I mean, here's a hypothetical question. So if I've got a nice plot of land and I then find I can, you know, I'm looking at putting electric vehicle charging on it, would that perhaps help me maybe get planning permission for a residential or commercial facility? Can it help kind of, you know, add its value, add to its value? 
I see the reverse. Yes, I think um, absolutely. It depends on your local planning authority and the location and the, and the grid and various things. But, um, you know, I know a lot of farmers are looking at land that's close to A roads is, you know, uh, trunk roads. Um, are these suitable for maybe um, offering sections to uh, property de- land developers for for exactly that? Um, so, yeah, there's a desire to do it. Does it make it valuable? Yeah. I mean, if you've just got a bit of uh, land that wasn't suitable for anything else and suddenly you realise, well, actually, by this road, it now is quite appealing. Um, there may be the case. It, it's always going to be about access routes on and off a roads. Um, how far of any of those? If, so here, Roger, I'm talking really about the filling station type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when it comes to uh, development of um you know, housing estates as such, then, you know, that's slightly different kettle of fish because they're going to have to put them in anyway. So they've got they've got to start looking at how they're doing it. Um, and uh, it is it is something they have to do when it comes to that other bit of land that you've got that might be available. Maybe you can make some money. It's close to your housing estate and you can get um, one of the large charging developers to, to look at that land for you. Is it appealing to them? Yes. Well, well, we're already seeing this, aren't we? The co-location of some facilities, certainly like coffee shop um, and other pubs, you know, various things where you can see there must be some kind of agreement, some kind of cooperation between them where I know, you know, that um, I- I'm I'm seeing, for example, uh, who's the one just down the way here? My brain's gone just for the moment. Um, who is it? Who is it? They're, they're down in pay- they're in Brackley, actually. Is it? On. Just, just bear it? with. Um, Osprey, of course it is. I don't know. I couldn't remember. Oh, yeah, because Osprey have a link with Marsden Pubs. Yes. Which is great because I know we probably shouldn't mention individual names or whatever, but um, they're doing such a good – because already they're existing sites. They're they're upgrading. You know, they've got the data to say, look, these ones are really well used. Let's put in some more charging. And Marsden and the agreement with Osprey is obviously a very good working relationship because they've just built a a massive one. I can't remember – is, is it Paisley? Well, Paisley Pear, that's the one in Brackley. Just down- this is the one, yeah. Oh. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I went down to the launch of it. It was it's very impressive. But I think we're, yeah. we're bound to see more of this where, you know, certain chains, certain whether it's whether it is coffee shops, whether it's hotels, pubs, restaurants, whatever, they are going to look to coordinate and work with charge point operators and others because it just makes sense, doesn't, doesn't it? Can I just for a second jump into who, who we've got? I'll read out a few of our... Um, audience. So there's Jim Hunt. Oh, I think we know Jim. Jim says he's in soggy southwest England. Um, Ariana is in Italy. Um, Madeline is in uh, the Netherlands. Um, Musian is in Zambia. And um, I hope I get this right. Zurex, Zurex Chan is in China. How about that for an international audience? Oh, wow. That is international. There you go. Well, look, really? another question coming back to a bit of what we just spoke about, but and, and certainly that poll that we had earlier, mm. grid connections. If the fundamental is the connection to the grid, so can you just explain to us in simple layman's term, what is a grid connection and how, where would I find where they all are, Linda? Is there a map, for example? Um, it is a map. So... Um, Okay, grid connection. So you've you've got like in the UK we have the national grid. That's the main uh, the main supply coming in, taking the power across the country. Then you have your local distribution networks. 
So a, a DNO is, uh, is, is referred to the same all over Europe, a distribution network operator. Mm-hmm. So you need to find out where your DNO is. And um, I think I've got a link we can pop in there somewhere. Um, I'll, I'll okay. find that, pop it in there. Um, so there's a, a DNO map and you can literally go onto that and you can find out where the hotspots are, exactly where the uh, the supplies are running. You can go into your postcode and find out where the little substation is that's closest to you. And UK Power Networks, for instance, where I am, have done a very good one where they literally are uh, saying with a traffic light system exactly the, the power that's available there for which type of EV charging. So you have a traffic light system. You know, do you want to put rapid charges in red? Um, uh, slower charges, orange maybe. Um, if you want some uh, seven kilowatt charges, it's green. So it's a really good system. It's not, you know, it gives you an indication. And from there, you need to go uh, find out more, do your applications. But that first bit of mapping is brilliant because you can look at your land, plot your map from, say, Google Maps or whatever, and overlay it with this DNO map. And how close is the substation? So you might have originally been thinking, look, I'm going to put my charges over there. And then it's much more logical if you put them closest to the substation and shorten the cable route mm. and the cable run. So um, those those maps are a, a really important thing uh, to find. And I will I will pop that in the chat box in a moment when I find it. Well, well, thank you. That that would be very useful, and that that's free access. Anyone can look at that. You you have to. Pay yeah, you might need to. Um, you might need to sign up. I think I registered with um with the DNO sites. I think they want a bit of information about who you are. Um, but it, it should be the same in most places that you can literally just um, as I say, uh, log in, uh, put in your details, and then um, you would be able to. I think I found it, Roger. Um, okay. You would be able to uh, to just, just do that. Listen, see, Linda, straight away, there's a big difference between the two of us. You're multitasking. You're asking. You're answering my questions whilst you're also looking for something and putting it in the chat box. I couldn't do that, Linda. I would do. Well, that was quite difficult, as you know. I had to change rooms just before, and my screen is set up left to right with my other screen, and my mouse is going the other way. Oh, okay. thank you, Jim. That was good. He's putting the W. Jim's given us a good one. By the way, for anyone uh, anyone here who's live with us, uh, obviously you're listening to the podcast, you won't be able to do this. Um, but if you're live, feel free to ask a question. Um, please pop it in uh, the chat box and I will certainly ask your question, if not bring you on the stage. Uh, in fact, if you'd like to come on stage, just put yes. If you don't want to come on stage, don't don't need to put anything. If you put your question up and then you put yes afterwards, we'll we'll know that you can you're happy to come up on stage. Um, so, so Linda, think, thinking about what you've just explained to us and, and where we are, um, are people restricted to just charge point operators? So if I'm a property developer, maybe I've got, you know, a chain that, that I'm developing a piece of land with or whatever. Um, am I obliged to go to a charge point operator? I mean, we've mentioned one of them. There are plenty of others. We could go through the list. But would I have to go to one of those to put charges on my site? Or, or can I do that kind of, you know, with a little bit of help from somebody in the, with knowledge, but but independently, is, is, that, is that possible? Absolutely, you, you can do it independently. Um, so there there are a number of options. I mean, the first thing is um, you know looking looking at the land and what's it suitable for. You know, is if it's 
housing, then you, you don't necessarily want a, a charge point operator. You need domestic charging in each of those properties. So you need to be looking at building a relationship with the supplier. Um, who's going to look after that and, and service and maintain uh, those charge units? Is it your, your own electrician? Um, do you need a software solution with it? Well, I would always say yes. Um, you want some form of software intelligence, data gathering with your um, charge points. So you could go out and buy your hardware off the shelf and then you could buy or lease your, your software and do the two together and you could run it yourself. Um, this is almost exactly what I did when I decided to build a network many years ago. Um, I found out all the different elements that were required and I, I built a public charging network. So uh, if I can do it, it's certainly not impossible. But if you're um, wanting to do um, rapid charging and uh, rapid charging hubs, then you need very deep pockets. So if you want to do that yourself, you're looking at a very large outlay. So I would suggest there are different levels of, of where you want to play in the game, um, how much skin in the game you actually want. You know, Do you want to lease your bit of land and have um, some income from a charge point operator based on um, a lease per bay? or a profit share from the income, or maybe a bit of both. Um, yeah. There are many, many options out there for, for how you can do it. Um, and you could maybe think, well, I'll, I'd like to part own because I'm not very keen on having a 20-year deal. Um, I'd rather have a 10-year deal. You know, there are many different options. Some of those charge point operators have a cookie-cutter template. You will do it this way if you want to be part of our group. And some are maybe slightly more flexible. So that comes into negotiation on how appealing your land is. Um, so, yeah, it gets complicated, Roger. It's, it's certainly not um, just one way of doing this. There, there are many different ways. Yeah. But but where, as we stand at the moment, as I mentioned earlier, we've got, you know, a million vehicles, electric vehicles on, on the road, but the mm -hmm. vast majority are not electric. And therefore, over the next number of years, an ever greater number of EVs will be there. Um, it's not just the number of chargers we need, it, is it, Linda? It's it's chargers that work reliably and that are in the right place. So on the yeah. one hand, we could say we need a million chargers uh, or half a million chargers. But, but that's a bit silly because what, what we want is the charges in the right place that are reliable um, and work. And um, I, I guess you mentioned, you mentioned the uh, access to the grid kind of map. Is there another kind of um, series of maps or data sets that gives people a sense of, you know, vehicle movements, you know, the volume of traffic or whatever, I don't know, all, all that fancy stuff you can Yeah, I think that there's kind of a lot of data out there and, you know, telematics is certainly something I would – be suggesting for any fleets looking to transition and all that kind of thing but there's the smmt in the uk uh, society of motor manufacturers and traders and that's the one um you know they have a lot of data but I, I think to get that data you either need to wait till somebody releases it on linkedin or you pay to be a member so um but there but there's certainly data out there to be found on those types of movements yes but, you know you're absolutely right and and lots of people are talking about look at the moment, we're trying to base all our future predictions on less than 2% of the vehicles currently being electric. Yeah, yeah. And, and early adopters, of course, mainly had their own home charger and, and they were able to do that. There were some early adopters who didn't. They're, they're very brave uh, and intrepid explorers. Um, 
But we are starting to see queues at charging stations and we are starting to see issues. It's always when there's, uh, I think there was one the other day, it was the beginning of half term, close to whatever an amusement uh, place. And you, you end up with it being rammed with people all trying to use it at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, th- there are those issues, but you've got to remember that besides all the public charging uh, that we have available, which is growing rapidly. And, you know, as we know, there are many charge point operators uh, networks out there that are rapidly building their sites and desperately trying to acquire more. So there is no um, sense of that. There is no uh, loss of appetite for this type of thing. It, it is happening. But we also have... Um, domestic charge points that are installed. I mean, for instance, I've got a, a, a drive at the front here that I can fit three cars on, and I have two charge points because I'm greedy. But I have one of my charge points available on CoCharger. So uh, a CoCharger is a site where you, I can share my charge point with other people. So anybody who wants to come to Woodbridge and would like to charge in my driveway rather than pay for public parking and charging, they can park here. They get free parking, but they pay me to charge. I'm happy because I'm getting an income. Uh, They're happy because they've got safe, secure parking. So those, I think it's over 400,000 charge points that co-charge. I might have to check. Um, it's, it's certainly be a lot because if you think about it, there's a million EVs on the road. Then there's, you know, um, I would say yeah. at least half of those have got a home charger. I, I guess hazard a guess at. Yeah. So those those sort of facilities, you know, they're just not there with combustion engines, are they? So no. you have this extra. It, it's like Airbnb or Rent My Drive or, or all these different um, solutions that are available. We've got other solutions available for charging vehicles. It doesn't all need to be yeah. rapid charging on route. Just thought, thought of a name, Linda. Given what you just said, you could call it Airbnb, didn't you? <laughs> Airbnb. Brilliant. There you go. Um, <laughs> so listen, let's just reflect on the title of this particular um, meetup, this episode, mm. the top five EV ch- charging considerations for property developers. So uh, I don't want to jump in and go through what I think you're starting to say, but c- can we start to list them out so we do give people five, you know, five charging considerations? What what was the, not necessarily in a rank order, but what would one of them be then, Linda? Some of what we've talked about already? I think, well, maybe I'm going to talk about, um, the, yeah, knowing the local regulations in your area. So you don't want to fall foul of, um, not keeping up to date. So, um, for example, I know of somebody who did a um, fantastic uh, job of doing a farm diversification. Um, they put all their plans in, COVID got in the way. They did a certain amount. Uh, they did the, a lot of the build because they could do it themselves. Um, when it came to actually then getting the, the full-blown planning signed off at the end, they found out that something had lapsed and they now were required to put in a minimum of four charging units. Yes. So that now requires them to dig up the tarmac track across to the parking bays and they have insufficient power on site. So, you know, it's costly if you don't check what your local regulations are. Um, and, you know, that that's nobody's fault that, you know, things happen. But as I say, it's very fast changing. So I think uh, one of those top tips is, you know, make sure you know exactly what your local uh, regs are. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is a second one knowing where to access this data, like the grid connection map you mentioned, and you've put that kind link up. Um, anyone listening to the podcast, by the way, you will be able to get this if you go and look on the recorded video. I think you can see that on that. If not, we'll, we'll put it up somewhere for yeah. you. Um, so would that be another would that be another top you know consideration to look at that data because because surely Linda there's only a finite number of um, grid connections at the moment they're not they're not making new grid grid connections every week are they isn't there like I don't know however many. 10,000, yeah. 20,000, I don't know. Yeah, well, part of those, uh, the UK regs that came in about smart charging is to, to help balance the grid um, so mm. that we can load balance. So, um, you know, there there are grid connections available. And if you don't need too much, you, you might be absolutely fine. Um, but if you want to do rapid charging hubs, then, you know, you need to, you, that's a lot of power. You really need to be looking at, at what's available. You need to make friends with your DNO. Um, I think that's my my biggest point there on that on the DNO one is, um, for instance, uh, it will be the same with all of them. But I'm going to use UKPM because that's where I am as my example. Um, for a client recently, I arranged an ask the expert session. So they, they're either called surgeries or ask, ask the expert. And um, it may take a while to get. It took maybe a month to get to, to sit down on Teams and discuss the eight sites that we were looking at. So I had eight postcodes. I'd already overlaid the maps, et cetera, but I wanted to talk to the human at the end. And doing that was amazing because you sit there and that you've got your expert from, from the, the DNO who's saying, well, yeah, I can see the substation there, but if you look where the doors are and where the cables come out, if you were able to move to the right-hand side, uh, rather than it costing you 20000 it will cost you 5000 Or mm. much worse cases, rather than it costing you 100 and something thousand because you need to go across an A road and shut that road, it's going to cost you a lot less. So mm. make friends with your DNO, build a relationship and understand they're there to help you, but they are incredibly busy, mm. incredibly busy. Now, I was talking about, you know, the... Um, that, that, as I said, the side of things w with the DNO, that's really a lot of the time for smaller, uh, low voltage connections. When it gets to high voltage connections or above high voltage connections, you might need to go even further. You know, you might be going to national grid, not your DNO, uh, in which case be prepared for lots of uh, dialogue and um, just making sure you, you really do know your stuff exactly where you want to put things. Sure. Now, now li listening to all of this, I'm just thinking, well, if I was a property developer, how would I know all of this anyway? Yes, I might be listening into this uh, this meetup with uh, Linda Grave, and this is all well and good, and I'm making lots of notes, and that's fine. But mm. that's not necessarily, you know, detailed enough and, and enough to build a proper business plan. So it, it just seems to me that people like yourself, and I'm sure there are others, Linda, but specialists who've got experience of it who know all the acronyms, because that's the other thing. We all start yeah. using these acronyms, DNO, you know, okay, that's distribution network operator. Yeah. I know that. I didn't know that for years. I've only recently known it. But then when we get into, you know, AC charging, DC charging, when we talk about level one, level two, all these different things that yeah. if you've been in the industry for Absolutely. a while, that it's, it, they're easy. But for people that don't have anything to do with energy and, and mobility, this is all like mm. voodoo. So 
Would one of your, you know, considerations or tips, if we can put it like that, be that, uh, and this isn't trying to just say, oh, people should, everyone should talk to Linda, but, but mm. surely it sounds to me like take professional counsel. It will save you time. Mm. You'll get these, you mentioned one arrangement, like an Ask the Expert session. Mm. I mean, I don't know you could do any of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you recommend this, you know, in, in a big way? hundred uh, percent, uh, because I think doing this at the front end will save you so much time and money in the long run. As I say, one one little error can cost thousands and thousands of pounds later on if you have to start digging things up or you don't have the supply you thought you had. Um, you know, you, you can start. I mean, we've got load balancing, Roger. So now this is one of the things that we're talking about, about having sufficient energy on site to run all the charges. Well, if everyone's trying to charge at exactly the same time, you might need X amount of power. But actually, if they plug in and they don't all charge at the same time, you can balance that power across those charge units. Now, this sort of information may really help people think when they're going, oh, my God, I can't, you know, I can't possibly apply for that much power. It will never work. Well, maybe you don't need that much power. You can load balance and, and you can work your system really well with load balance charging. Mm. So, you know, if you're going to go with a rapid charging site and do that, then maybe the um, the charge point operator, maybe you've already chosen one, maybe you already you know who you're working with, they will do most of this footwork for you. But yeah. they're going to want a long lease. So if you don't know what you want, right. certainly come to somebody like myself or any other consultant out there in the, in this field and find out, you know, what's right for you? Do you want to own the the whole value chain? Or are you very happy to get a guaranteed lease payment and go with one operator? If you if you are thinking about going with one operator, I would suggest certainly looking at something like, I mean, ZapMap now has the top five, top 10 EV charging uh, companies as rated by the end users. And I'm sure other countries do the same thing. If you're going to have charging on your site um, and it's not working, who are they going to call? You know, yeah. it, it, are they going to say Ghostbusters then, Linda? Who are you going to absolutely, call? Absolutely, Roger. Because <laughs> I think, as you, as you said earlier on, you know, it's not all about the number of charging units. Are they working? And yeah, it's it's yeah. going to be uh, reflect. I mean, because if people stand in front of a charge unit and it's not working, they just look for a phone number or a person. You know, they yeah. don't care whether it's relating to the charge unit. <laughs> They're going to come and have no, a no, you know, you're right. There. That's that's survival of the fittest. You're absolutely mm -hmm. right. Listen, it's about this time that I like to go to the audience. So there are a couple of questions that have come in. I'm going to put them up on stage. If you want to go on stage, like I said earlier, please just put yes after your question as a separate thing. So I'm going to take it that Pawan and Madeline, who will come to next, haven't uh, asked to come on stage. But this is Pawan's question. Uh, Pawan's in the UK. Uh, are there asset finance options for EV charge points? Do you know? Yes. Now, this is going to depend on, again, the the level. If you're talking about you know, sort of workplace charging or whatever, uh, possibly through the charge point manufacturers or operators themselves. Um, when it comes to uh, charge point networks, absolutely. They are uh, they are ready to, to finance the whole thing for you. you can have fully funded solutions. OK, well, well look, I've invited Pawan onto the stage. I know I've asked her question. But I thought she might like to join us anyway. So, Pawan, would you any would you like to respond to what Linda said there? Yeah, yeah. No, thanks, Linda, for uh, 
providing an answer to the question. Uh, actually, I'll give you a bit of background where this question is coming from, uh, that I met with a few uh, property developers recently, and uh, I found that their motivation was only to get a building completion certificate because they don't want to spend more than what is minimum. So, uh, in fact, there was one uh, uh, building block which has got 22 flats, and uh, what the developer said to me that they can get away by having just one charge points, why they should spend more money. So that is where I started thinking that, you know what, I'm happy to step in as a charge point operator because I know once people move in, uh, this uh, uh, collection of charge point in that estate is going to pay for itself. But when I reached out to banks, uh, to be fair, I, mean, I, I don't think they understood that, you know, this, this is something which can be considered as asset finance. That's really interesting, because I, I think um, I have dealt with some uh, housing, um, multiple occupancy dwelling uh, recently. The same thing, it was the residents were um, asked if they would like to have EV charging on site. And I think due to that um, that little survey that was done, they were able to access some grant funding to put some of those charge units in. So there may well, there's certainly funding available um asset finance for it i think that would be it would be good to actually speak direct to an operator to find out whether they'd be interested in your particular site mm -hmm. um if you want to run it yourself yeah. um that again gets more you you may have to finance the the, the charging you may have to finance it up front but you would um get the income back from the charging but that might not be very appealing so i think it's a very individual one yours with asset finance um for that particular situation i think i'd need to know a bit more about the site itself uh, uh, so Lucilla, i think you know at, at a concept level it is uh, think about this that if i have to drive a taxi uh, uh, in london what I would do, I would go and buy a car on lease. I'm not going to spend £50,000 to buy a taxi, right? Somebody has to finance that. Yeah. And, uh, similarly, if there is a residential block, uh, uh, if you're going to install uh, 10 to 12 charge points there by bringing a new power supply line, you're looking at project cost of about same uh, sort of figure, about forty to £50,000, uh, depending on uh, how expensive it is to get a power supply. Then... Ticket item is same, and now the revenue will be generated once people start using those charge points. Hmm. So the question here is that you know why can't it's a hard asset, right? so why can't uh, bank fund that uh, uh, either to that resident association or to us as charge point operator, so hmm. that we we have uh, you know how many projects we can do with our own funding, probably one or two, you know, a few. But beyond that, uh, it's, it's the banks which have to uh, uh, step in and give some some funding. Otherwise, uh, how capital intensive uh, uh, infrastructure can be rolled out uh, for people who don't have private driveway? Yes. Uh, Pawan, can I just say, sorry, Linda, jump in there. I, I want to jump to a few more people and get a few more questions in. But what I'm going to suggest, Pawan, is you hook up with Linda um, sure. directly by the website or whatever, because I think this is a really important That's subject. Great really yeah. to you but i just want to jump in and get a few more but Pawan, thank you very much for joining yeah. us that, thank that you i'd like to know more yeah yeah thank sure. you thank you so um who have we got next i'm going to bring onto the stage uh, ian ian's got a great question because he uh, well i'll let ian ask it actually 
Um, but it's something I know we were going to talk about anyway. So instead of me asking it, we'll uh, have Ian come on stage and he can ask it. So uh, hopefully it'll pop up in just a moment. Um, if not, I'll ask it on his behalf. No, he's with us. There you go then. Hi, Ian. How are you? Good. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we got you fine. Thank you. I see. Are you in Luxembourg, Ian? I'm in Luxembourg, yes. Excellent. So, yeah, please fire away with your question. So, I well, I'm actually in the middle of a project right now, and I'm on the fence about whether to go ahead and buy um, charging points, um, simply because I think from starting from next year, this whole concept of bi-directional charging will be launched and the new models will come out. And I'm just worried whether existing models become obsolete or will they have retrofit kits? I, Ian, I think um, it's a really interesting question. I think at the moment, bi-directional charge points themselves are very expensive. Um, and th there's so much work being done on um, on V to G, V to X, V to V to load um, that it's it's such an exciting space. We need all the vehicles to be ready for it um, as yep. well as the, the charge points. So so these it, we are a way off it all happening. I think what I would normally recommend in this situation is to get um, Get some cabling infrastructure. Maybe maybe you don't need all the charge units yet. Maybe you can be ready to upgrade. Um, right. So, so I mean, I don't know how many charge points you have to put in uh, due to regulations. Do you have an amount that you? No, it's just a, a follow up on it. I want to add another twenty charge points for an office building. Yeah. So, so maybe at the moment ten would suffice. And by mm -hmm. next, I mean this space moves so fast. And I personally am very excited about bidirectional charging. You know, I, I do think it's it's a brilliant thing. It's the it's it's going to happen. But at the moment, we need to be sure because a lot a lot of the tests. And I can see Jim Hunt is it's his specialist area. So I think that would be really interesting to know what Jim's got to say. Yeah. Um, well, can I just say on that note? I know Jim does know a lot about this. So um, Ian Jim Hunt, uh, who is easy to find on LinkedIn, um, has. Okay. A lot of knowledge on this. Uh, if, you know, if you connect up with Jim outside of this, because you know if we go, we'll go down a bit of a rabbit hole with it. Um, mm -hmm. But it is the question you wanted answering. All I'd say, if I can add this, Linda, is this is one of the reasons why I ordered uh, uh, an ID Buzz because mm -hmm. it's got bi-directional charging. Yeah, absolutely. And my, if I'm honest, in my naivety, Ian, I thought, well, I'll just work. I'll plug it in and do it. It isn't as simple as that. So yeah. I think, as Linda says, we're going to have a bit of a shakedown. But the, the, your, your point is a really good question, because if you want to future proof something, if that shakedown is three and five years away, well, that's what you're going to take into consideration because that, that will soon happen. But if it's 10 or 20 years away, well, that's a different thing. But 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 I think if you speak to Jim Hunt and, and others, you, you'll find, you know, it's yes, it's coming. But, you know, depending upon your location and the other things Linda mentioned, um, that that would be where it is, but yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you brought this question up because I yeah. was actually going to ask it myself, but you saved me the job. Yeah, I mean, if I can add to that, you know, for anybody who's thinking that they need to put in twenty, you know, maybe you need to put in ten now, and you wait. You've got the cabling and infrastructure, but you haven't actually put the hardware on because uh, things are happening and they're happening fast in this industry. So I hate to see anybody having to waste any money, throw anything away. Um, so if you can future proof by putting cabling conduit. Uh, whatever in place, um, foundations, but maybe not all the hardware straight away. Um, it might benefit you. Yes. Thank you. 
Great, thank you. Thanks for your uh, thanks for your question, Ian. Um, I'm going to go. I'm not going to invite um, Madeline to the stage because we're just we're running a bit tight on time now. Um, so uh, it's a question. I'll put it up on the screen. Um, so, hi, Linda. Any advice on future proofing some of the investments we have to make? Kind of relates a little bit to Ian's question there, but but anything on that general topic of future proofing? Well, I just exactly what I was just saying, really. I, I think, you know, if, if you're looking at a project and you're putting in, um, you, you've got the civils team on site and civils can be really expensive. You know, we need to think with the, with the civil side of thing. And of course, I'm talking about the, the groundworks, the construction, right. everything you're laying, whether it be water, electricity, gas, whatever it might be. This is the time to be thinking about future proofing your site, because if you're building for today's regulations, you're kind of already behind the curve. You know, we're doing all this right now with one to two percent of vehicles being electric. We need to be ready for the next stage. And it's coming so quickly because, you know, we are snapping up electric cars as fast as they can be made. So we need to be ready for the next phase. So if you if you're digging a trench, dig a wider trench. If you're putting in cable, maybe you don't need all the cable, but you need the conduit in place to pull the cable through foundations they're not very expensive put in some more foundations with some blocking tops so this is just like your your drain cover mm. um, you know, there, there's all sorts of things that you can put in place think about the placement of them you know there's quite a lot of debate at the moment about um, access for for disability and it's really important to think how do you access charge units our parking bays are too small we need wider bays we need to think a bit more carefully about how we're charging electric vehicles and um, so, yeah, do a bit of planning up front. That's that's the future proofing, I would say. Sit down, plan it through, talk to people, look at other charge point operations that are out there. And biggest thing ever is drive an electric car. You know, walk in my shoes. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's really yeah. that's really good advice, Linda. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it is. Again, on that point, because the perception versus the reality is, without going through the long list of perception, um, a lot of that, those perceived aspects of an EV are negative. However, when you have one, most of them, not all of them, go away. And yes, on occasion, you have a bit of a freak out moment when it comes to charging. But in my experience, don't know what yours would be, I would say that's probably in a year, five times, six times. It depends what you do a lot, obviously, whether you travel around a lot. But, you know, it, it does happen. There's no doubt. But but it, it's getting less and less. I mean, I often most mostly now I see lots of charge point operators. The chargers are there, well, certainly at the moment because they've gone up to be expensive, where, where there's no one on them. You know, there's there's yeah. a lot more chargers than there are cars now. It seems. Yeah, you know, it, it it's certain sites, certain times of day, that sort of thing, and this is what the grid and load balancing and all these things are all about. You know, if we all put on our kettle at six o'clock in the evening, we have a shortage of power. Um, you know, these things are fact uh, we know that if we can delay doing certain things um you know certainly when you plug in your car with smart charging if you're plugging in at home you would be plugging in but it doesn't need to switch on at, at six o'clock just because you got in from work it can yeah. come on at midnight you can make you know the most of cheap rate electricity and um you know back to um ian's point about bi-directional i i'm super excited about that i want to be able to use my car and send power back to the grid and get paid for it you know I love the opportunities that are coming in the future. And if I owned a large car parking estate 
Um, and I had lots of vehicles parked, whether they, you know, be depot charging or whatever, and I can send power back to the grid or, uh, you know, power my own site. These things are super exciting. The opportunities that we have with uh, the car park estate are, are just mind-blowingly exciting. And we are just, you know, on the first step. Yeah, yeah, at, at the beginning of it. Just, just to be very specific, so people will know, bidirectional charging is where the battery in your EV can power up other things. Yeah. Maybe your house, maybe if you've got a lot of company vans, maybe even your factory or facility like that. And yes, you know, it is, as Linda says, very early on. But to take what has been up until now a relatively, how can I put it, dumb asset, a vehicle that yeah. just sits parked doing nothing, now... With electric vehicles, they can be doing something, something very important for the grid to manage and balance um, energy in and out. And for you as a user to have an asset that can then, you know, take expensive electricity and move it to a cheaper place and vice versa. Um, yeah. but, that's, um, but, but on that point of the it is an energy crisis we've got now. Um, it mm. has made a lot of things unclear. There's a lot of kind of going back to cold, going back to all sorts of things we were moving away from. Um, what impact does that have anything on property developers at the moment, Linda, in terms of their considerations? Is this just a kind of, I hate to use the word, but is it just a blip, bad as it is for maybe the next year or two? I don't think so. I think obviously my background was renewable energy before going into the EV space. And, um, you know, solar back in the day when we were doing that was, uh, was relatively expensive. Um, I think it's a third of the price now as it was then. It's hard to get hold of at the moment, but as is everything. But if you were building, a, a, you know, a new site and you had warehousing, for instance, you've got those great big roof spaces, you want to be seriously thinking about energy security. Um, whatever the type of building, can you integrate solar into it um, and, and power some of your site yourself? Because, you know, it's become the hot topic and you'd be bonkers not to be looking at it. Don't I, I know it comes down to the bottom line and builders are squeezed like everybody else. But seriously, think about who's going to want to lease your building uh, against the one next door that has all the facilities. Um, you know, there are again, look at regulations, look at grants, look at what's available. Um, go, going back to the asset thing, you know, maybe someone will fund that for you. Certainly uh, in, in this location, we had a, uh, a solar rooftop. Uh, I can't remember what it was called now, but it was a funded thing where they would go out and put solar. Anybody who was interested in having it on the rooftop, the council wanted to generate energy. So they mm. would do it for you. Um, these things still exist, uh, but you need to know what's going on local to you. Um, so energy security is absolutely key. Uh, you know, insulate first. Where's your energy coming from? How can I use it on site? These things are fundamental. Got it. Uh, yeah. Well, look, Linda, I think we've covered quite a lot. There's a lot more we could cover, but I did ask a question right at the beginning, so I'm going to come back to it. Otherwise, um, I was just talking nonsense at the start. And the question was, what is the one thing that property and land developers seem to overlook, and why is it crucial to start paying attention to this? So, can you can you answer that question now? Yeah, I'm going to. I mean, it is so um, basic in many ways. It is that access to the grid, and it's starting now. So, you know, you can't afford to leave it any longer. If you've got a site, you're thinking of doing anything. This needs to go high on that list. It needs to be first. 
if you need access to the grid and you're you're leaving, I mean, it it you know, I've got a good relationship with my grid locally, and it took me a month to get a phone, the first phone call. So you know, it, it can take much longer than you think because of how busy they all are. Now, no. access to a, a grid connection and getting that moving from application through, I would say at the moment it might be eighteen months. Now, if you wanted to go to national grid uh, and get a connection a much larger connection, you could be looking at four years. What? Four yeah. years? Yeah. That's nice. That might sound why bonkers, but, why you know, does it, it take so long? Because you've got all sorts of planning things to go through. So power oh power, and what, what it takes to get it on site and do everything, you know, these things can take so much longer. Right. So much longer now, I might have said that deliberately to scare people because I want to scare them into putting this really high on the list. Don't leave it. Start planning now. You know, whatever you're doing, start now. Don't just, you know, talk about it in the boardroom and we might look at that next year. Let's put it on next year's agenda. It needs to be discussed. And let's not forget that grid connection, this is the same with power generation. You know, if you want renewables, it's a different type of grid connection. It's still a connection, but you're a generator uh, as well as a user. So you still need to look at those things. Yes, absolutely. But but you've equally answered a question that's often been in my mind, and I know many others, which is when you think this would be a good place for a charging point operator, why haven't they got three here? Or why don't they have five here? It's because I guess there's a challenge with that grid access. It isn't absolutely. that they didn't want to do it, or they don't think that's a good location. I guess yeah. it could be that it's still going through that. Oh, that's crazy. Four years still going through that long-term planning proposition before we're going to see that charger in that place we all know is a good one. Is, is, is that fair to say? Well, and, and there's various things happening in the, you know, so what's happened in the past in, in, in a grid connection scenario, you, you decide you want a high-powered charging station here and you need to do the grid connection. The yeah. grid uh, says, okay, Linda, that's going to cost you the whole substation that we need to put in. We're going to charge you for everything. Well, that's going to change. So come November, I think it is, we're going to start seeing two prices on those connections. And it's going to be one that says, okay, we're going to share this load because other people might want some of that grid connection. So if we put in a slightly bigger substation, we could share that. We might have an upgrade that needs to be done to this building and that building. It's much more logical than making one person um, have to pay the whole thing. So that change is coming, but at the moment you need to, yeah, just be aware of how long these things take and the cost. Yes. Well, well, on that kind of final point, but before I come to kind of like a final question as, as a kind of wrap up, can I just say I want to give a shout out to Leonie and Sarah and Wesley, who no one ever sees on these calls, but these are the folks who do the research. They talk to you and others before you come on as a guest. Uh, they do a lot of prep for us. They help us with a framework sort of outline script, as it were, um, although it's freestyle, so we don't we don't read from a script as best as possible. And they run the kind of back office side of how this is all working. So I just would like to give them a shout out because the reason why these things work mostly very, very well is because of those folks. So thank you very much, uh, um, team. Um, so, so yeah, let, let me just finish on this then, Linda. Please, can you give us this sense of, you mentioned it earlier, we're racing towards 2030. You know, we've got all of these challenges coming at us. The current challenge of, you know, you know, the huge energy challenge, the cost of living crisis, the thing that's happening, let's be frank, all over the world by varying degree. Um, 
Is the electric vehicle revolution going to happen to to a schedule or is it going to drift and drag along because of all those challenges and maybe because people aren't getting on with finding the charging sites? And and these, man, it really hit four years to get something up and running. That's surely got to be shortened and, and improved. How hopeful are you, Linda? You're a positive person. What, what, what do you think? Well, I think the, the revolution is here. You know, you, you, we're not going back. I'm not going back to use a mangle to do washing. You know, electric cars are better in every way than uh, combustion engines. Uh, so we've had, oh, my God, they don't go far enough. Well, the average range of an electric vehicle, I think, less than seven years ago was was 70 miles. You know, I think the average yeah. range now is is 200, you know. Range is not an issue. It's the right vehicle for the right purpose. Uh, yes, we need more. I, I think keeping up with demand is going to be an issue, um, but that's that's not very different to any uh, business at the moment. I think there's constraints everywhere. We've got all sorts of various challenges. So, um, yeah, that, those things are there. Yeah, and um, quick, I'm going to sneak in a quick question from Tom in Spain. What's your opinion regarding off-grid solutions? You've got well, one minute, Linda. Absolutely fab, but get those connections, get those grid connection. Um, so, you know, you, how, how are you going to do it? Um, you know, uh, the cost of, of doing that might be incredibly expensive. I think um, du- I'm called direct wiring. Um, I'm, I'm working with one client here in the UK that's doing direct wire from a very large wind turbine to do that. That is going to take a long time to get that application through as well. Right, so, right. I, I love the idea of off-grid. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. Well, let me just reiterate, and I know this isn't a show where we necessarily overtly promote somebody, but you know what, Linda? You've got this wealth of knowledge and experience. You've been very generous with everything you've shared with us on here, so I'm going to do it again. I know you're, you're too shy to do that. evdriver.co.uk. So if Linda can't help you, uh, if you're not maybe in here in the UK, because we've got people from Spain and China and all, all sorts of locations. Um, maybe she has a number of international friends um, she, she can hook you up with. But if I'm going to take away a lesson from this primarily, Linda, it's this. Speak to a specialist who's already been around the block of all of this challenge, can help you shortcut your your workload to get to a point where you know who to talk to, you know what data sets to look at, and um, you can get on with it. Um, and I equally think, uh, I, I'd like to think that you and others, people like Quentin Wilson and Robert Llewellyn and all of that, should be putting pressure on governments and the authorities to to, sh- to shorten these timelines for getting um, stuff agreed and, and put through. Because four years is like just like nuts. So, um, is, yeah, I think just knowing those things you know if you've got a if you're doing a massive project you're probably already planning that in with your power yeah um, but for the rest you're still looking at 18 months to yeah two years. well look linda gray you've been fantastic guest it's great that you were um you asked a question now you're a guest that's all wonderful so we've got future guests coming along which i know are going to be exciting too you can catch up this on the podcast if you want to listen to it again or whatever if you're listening to the podcast where were you please join us live next time Um, But for this occasion, uh, the top five EV charging considerations for property developers, I think we've pretty much rattled through those. So Linda Gray, thank you so much for your time. And from Revolution Live, this is Roger Atkins signing off. Thank you. Thank you.